Well, this morning we are going to uh, go back uh, to our study. We've been looking at the armor of God. The la- we began that last week. We've been taking a, a deep dive into Ephesians. And we looked at uh, part one last week. We looked at the first three articles of armor in uh, that passage of scripture that Paul presents. And today, uh, I hope you have your seatbelts and you buckle in because we're in for a ride. Um, And so I pray that uh, God opens the eyes of our understanding and uh, allows these truths to land deep. Because I'll tell you what, if we, not because I'm speaking, I mean, it's just because it's God's word. If we'd apply these truths that we're gonna look at today, it'll transform your lives. It'll transform it. It'll, it'll affect everything. Nothing will, you know, n- nothing will be the same afterwards. And so um, we left off looking at Ephesians chapter six. We were at the nearing the the very end of our study through um, this epistle. And uh, just for context, let's kind of just uh, take a, a broader thirty thousand view, foot view of this section of scripture. Paul says this in verse ten of chapter six. He says, "Finally, be strong in the Lord." And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. He says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And then the text we're gonna to tackle today, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all of the saints. Such a rich passage of scripture. There's so much there for us to do. We're gonna take a, um, a deep dive into that, but just for further study, back in 2020, I believe it was, I did a six or eight week series just on those passages. It was a series called Battle Ready. And so if you want to continue to expand on what I'm sharing this morning, you can you, you, I refer you to the website where you can do that. We wanna welcome those who've tuned in online as well, and thank you for uh, joining with us today. So last week we took a look, uh, look at the, uh, the first three articles of armor, namely the, the belt of truth. We looked at the breastplate of righteousness and we saw as shoes we were given, we are, we are, we are to put on readiness, right? Uh, given by the gospel of peace. And I mentioned that all of these articles of armor that Paul mentions are to illustrate how we are to apply the truth of God's love, word into our lives so that when in the midst of battle, we might stand. That's the goal here, right? That we might not get taken out in the midst of a battle, that we might stand. So this morning, we're going to pick up right where we left off uh, at looking at the next article in verse 16. Paul will say this, he says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. 
Again, remembering that Paul is referring to the armor a Roman soldier uh, was wearing as an example for our spiritual armor, he points now to this shield of faith that a soldier would be carrying. This was a, a very large shield that they would um, carry with them was something called a scutum, S-C-U-T-U-M. Uh, it was about the size of a door. And a soldier would, would carry this and, and would be able to completely hide behind this shield when the battle kind of enraged against them. And here's the thing, all you would see at those moments was his shield because he'd be covered by this big, this big shield. Likewise, our faith, that which we hold dear, is that which we find shelter in. It's where we find safety. It's what we hide behind, if you will. Our faith protects us from the attacks of, of fear and worry and anxiety. When those fiery darts are launched at us, we are to hide behind the shield of faith. So likewise, our, our faith, which is what we hold dear, right? that keeps us from falling prey to those attacks. What's interesting about the shield of faith is, is it wasn't only a defensive weapon. I mean, primarily it was a defensive weapon for, for obvious reasons, but, but it also served a, an offensive um, um, uh, place as well as the soldier would kind of use that to kind of push ahead at times, advance on the battleground. You've seen that during riots, right? When the riot police would come and, and they'd go against, the, the, uh, against the, those opposers and they'd kind of create a wall and they would push forward in an advancing kind of way. And so it's really important that we understand that, that this idea of our shield of faith, it wasn't blind faith, but it is a faith that is informed by something. You see, what we, what we see here, let me just, what we also see taking place in the shield of faith is obviously the guy or a woman, I don't know if they had women soldiers back then, but maybe they did, I don't know. But they, so they hide behind, they would take a, a defensive posture, but then also they would move forward. But there were times also when they were fighting in battle that the soldiers would stand together and they would stand side by side and it would create a wall of shields, right? And as together they would lock arms and they would move forward and they would advance as an army. And what would end up happening is, as they did that, the enemy would shoot these fiery darts at the, those, those, those who had the shields. These shields were, again, they're, they're about the size of a door. They were made of wood. They would be wrapped in leather. And what they would do is they would drench these, this leather coating in water so that when these fiery darts would come, they would be extinguished once they hit the, 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 the wet leather. And so we have this picture of not just a soldier hiding behind, but soldiers standing together against the war. And notice what Paul says here. He says, look, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. In other words, you never put it down. 
in all circumstances. We are to apply faith in all circumstances, in the good times as well as the bad times, in the challenging times as well as the rewarding times, right? In the times of joy as well as the times of conflict. We are in all circumstances, we are to take up the shield of faith. Now, in the context of what we've been talking about, it's saying that, that, tr- that, that ultimately when we look at the armor, what is that truly an image of? Our armor is truth, right? And we need to recognize that, that while we're not on the same foreign field as these guys who are being shot by arrows, we are in a spiritual battle. We are. I mean, that's, that's what Paul is saying here. He said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers. We are in a battle, right? And, and he's saying here that we are to take up the shield of faith so that we might extinguish the lies of the enemy, the fiery darts of the enemy. But here's something we need to be really clear on. It's not just faith in our faith. We don't take up the shield of faith. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, I've got faith. They've, gotten, they've, got, they've not embraced Christ. They've not, they've not you know, gone hard after Jesus. How many know there's a large amount of people that identify themselves as people of faith? And oftentimes what they mean by that is that they are putting faith in their faith. Well, that's not the kind of shield of faith we're talking about. The kind of the shield of faith that we're talking about is a shield that is constructed by the truth of God's word. It's faith grounded in the truth of God's word. Listen, faith void of truth is only wishful thinking. That's all it is. It's a gamble. It's just a positive attitude. It's just, I hope it works out. That's not what the scripture, that's not the kind of faith the scripture, scripture tells us, calls us to. Our faith is to be defined, made up of, truth, of the truth of God's word. The purpose of the fiery darts was, was obviously, you know, there's an obvious purpose of the fiery darts that the enemy would shoot. Certainly was there to, to burn people, but it was more than just that because it really was to create a psychological warfare that would get into people's heads before they got to the ground. You see, you got to imagine the enemy, what they would oftentimes do is they'd, they'd wait till evening. And in the darkness of night, they would shoot these fiery darts at their intended target. And as the, as the people would look up and they'd see these fiery darts, they started to, it would invoke obviously fear and worry, right? I mean, they'd look up and they'd see a barrage of fiery darts. And so before those things even landed, there was a psychological warfare that was taking place in their mind as fear riddled their hearts in the darkness of night. Imagine what it must have been like in the night sky to see it raining down with fiery darts. Many of them were taken out in fear before they were ever taken out on the ground. Imagine what that must have been like. But you probably don't have to imagine too long, do you? You know the feeling where you're feeling so vulnerable, so exposed, so threatened, you feel so preyed upon. And as you look up, it's like you see the fiery darts of fear and worry 
and anxiety and health and finances and broken relationships, right? Everything raining down on you. And what Paul says here is, man, take up the shield of faith. Hide behind truth. Push through in faith. A faith that is informed by the truth of God's word in the midst of your circumstances. And when it feels like you need some support, when it feels like you've exhausted every bit of your own energy, have you felt there? Have you ever had those moments where you just feel like, I just don't have enough faith to get through this? How in the world am I gonna get, I mean, I'm just tired. I believe, I believe in God, but I just don't have what I need, right? There's those times where those fiery darts, they just keep coming from different directions. It's in those times that you lock arms with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You glean from the strength of being a part of the faith community, right? Those who applied the truth of God's word to their lives and they're standing with you as a wall of faith together, each one holding one another up so that when those moments where we feel weak, we can draw off the strength of one another. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some is, and even more as the day, the evil day approaches. And so the shield of faith is our shield individually, but it's also our, our shield corporately as we together hold up and apply truth to these fiery darts that are launched at us and we walk in victory he says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith and extinguish the fiery lies of the enemy. Next, Paul says this in verse 17. He says, and then take up the helmet of salvation. Take up the helmet of salvation. Like every other piece of armor, the helmet is there to protect the significant parts of our body. I would suggest that our head is a pretty significant part of our body, right? Uh, but I, I don't think he's just referring to our physical head. He's, he's, and he's not just even referring to our, our brains, but he's referring to our minds. Put on the helmet of salvation over that part of your body where your thinking process takes place. I've mentioned over and over and over again that the battle that we're engaged in takes place where? In the arena of our minds, right? The battle's oftentimes won or lost right here in our minds. When we, when we embrace truth, we walk in victory. When we reject truth, we, we fall prey to those lies. And then those lies become what? Our new reality. And that new reality breeds dysfunction and discouragement and all, the whole, all those things that God doesn't have for us, right? And so we, had to, we need to guard our minds. Satan's weapons are the lies, and our strategy is to expose those lies with what? With truth. With truth. I mean, it's a very simple strategy, right? I mean, it's really not rocket science, but, but we need to understand the truth, so we can define a lie as a lie. Otherwise, we can embrace it as truth and then it becomes a reality in our mind, which again, leaves us wanting and confused. Satan's weapons and only weapons 
or lies, and we combat that with truth. Put on the helmet of salvation. It protects our brain. I mean, we recognize, you know, when we talk about the brain, that's the place where our knowledge is accumulated or, or not. All right, you're a little quicker than the second. First service. First service it took a little while for it to land, but, but yeah. I mean, that's the place where knowledge kind of takes place, right? It's the place where our thoughts are. It's there that, that it's from our brain. It's from our brain that every part of our body is informed. It receives its instruction from our brain. And so when Paul is calling us to, to put on the helmet of the salvation, it's not only a call to attain more knowledge. I mean, they're certainly important, right? We need, we need to have knowledge. But it's a call to put in motion the knowledge that we have. You see, just knowing isn't good enough. Just believing isn't good enough. James says that Satan believes and trembles, right? So it's not just acquiring knowledge, but it is what? It is putting in motion the knowledge that we have, right? It's acquiring it so that we could put it in motion. God says in Hosea chapter four and verse six, my people are destroyed, why? For lack of knowledge, for lack of knowledge. He says, because you have rejected knowledge, right? So people are taken out because they're not aware of and don't employ, employ the truth of God's word. But it's more than just a lack of knowledge in a, in a quantitative sense. The amount of knowledge isn't what helps people. In fact, too much knowledge can get in the way, right? Paul writes to the church at Corinth that, that sometimes knowledge, it puffs up. Right? And so how do we balance this out? It's not, it's not so much about the, it's, it's not about how much knowledge you have, but here, what you do with that knowledge. What you do with that knowledge. Knowledge without application manifests itself in arrogance. Have you met them? Right? They love to thump you. Right? Knowledge without application manifests itself in arrogance. Knowledge applied manifests itself in wisdom, right? What you do with knowledge will either work for you or it'll work against you. Knowledge without application manifests itself in arrogance. Knowledge that is applied manifests itself in wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the skill of living. It's the application of God's truth in our lives. Wisdom is what enables us, enables us to spot a lie from a distance and extinguish it with truth before it lands and becomes a new reality in our lives. The helmet of salvation protects our minds from the lies of the enemy by holding tightly to the truth that we know, God's word. But if, if we don't know the truth, if we're not in the word, then we're going to be susceptible to, to misrepresenting a lie and receiving it as truth. And that's why I keep bringing it back. We've got, we got to know the word. We've got to know the word. We've got to know the word. We've got to be, the only way we can spot a lie is by knowing the truth. Taking the helmet of salvation. It's interesting, this idea of taking the helmet, it's an action word. It's something that we, that we need to do. It, it's something that we are called to put on. We are to go after. 
It's a decisive act to guard our minds against the lies of the enemy. It takes both inspiration and perspiration, right? It's, it's taking, it, it takes being with God and it takes going after God. You know, God loves when his people go after him. God loves when his people pursue him. He said, he said Jeremiah, he says, man, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all of your hearts. Right? God loves when his people pursue him. We will seek him and we will find him when we pursue him with all of our hearts. Notice what he says here, though, about this helmet. He says, it's the helmet of salvation. That's what it's made up of. The helmet of, of salvation. That's a broad word, this word salvation is a, is, is a very broad word. It's very loosely used in, rever- in reference to uh, our Christian lingo, this idea of um, uh, salvation. But really, this word salvation is a, is a very significant word that has tremendous meaning. When we talk about salvation, it's, it's so much more than just you know, being a Christian. It's referring to our position before God, past, present, and future. When we talk about salvation, we recognize that there's a, there's a time in our life where we are justified, right? Justification would come under the umbrella of our salvation. That is the moment where we recognize that we are sinners in need of a savior. That point where we recognize that we are, we are, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, right? We are in need of forgiveness and we recognize there's nothing we can do to satisfy the holy demands of God. And so we put all of our trust in Jesus us, we recognize that the only way we can ever be justified before God is to put all of our trust in what Christ has done. And when we do that, the scripture says we are justified in God. We receive a righteousness that is only attained because of what Christ has done for us. And when that happens, we are, we are, we are saved from the wrath of God. We are saved from the, the penalty of sin. Our position, our disposition before God, it changes from being under God's wrath to being under God's grace and love and mercy. Justification. Our standing before God. Listen, when, you, when you've been justified, there will never be a time in your life where you're in better standing before God than right now. Can, can you just let that settle in for a, a second? Can you just remember that when you start beating yourself up? When you start feeling like less than? Can you remember that when God sees you, he's not judging you by your latest performance, but he's, rec- he's judging you by Christ's work on the cross. You've been justified. I stand perfect. But I know well enough that as I look at my own life, I have not arrived. I know that there are ways that I, that, that I have learned over the years, that my, my position in Christ is not running parallel with my behavior in Christ. Is that okay? Right? And so I recognize that because of that, I not only, I mean, I have been saved, but I need to be saved from myself as well, right? I'm a train wreck in so many ways. And so here's what ends up happening, that at, at, at justification, I've been saved from the, the penalty of sin, but here's the good news, that in sanctification, I've been saved from the power of sin. What shall we say then, Romans chapter six, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. 
You see, the power of sin has been broken in our lives. We don't have to sin. You say, yeah, no, no, I have to. No, no, you don't have to sin. We choose to sin. It's our choice at that point, right? Because the power of sin has been broken in our lives. Read Romans chapter 6, right? And so we see in justification, we are saved from the penalty of sin. In sanctification, I am saved from the power of sin. And God, the Holy Spirit, is walking with me and teaching me and leading me and working on me and transforming me so that my behavior might align with my position in Christ. And there'll be a day, bless the Lord, that not only will I have been saved from the penalty of sin, and not only will I have been saved from the power of sin in justification, but there'll be a day where I am saved from the presence of sin. And that is where I will see my final salvation, the glorification, where I step out of time and into eternity, and I'm walking in what I've been designed to walk in when he saved me. So we talk about this idea of salvation. Let's just not, let's not like so uh, minimize the significance of that. Our salvation has to do with our, our justification, our sanctification, our glorification. We've been saved from the, the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and soon one day we'll be saved from the presence of sin. Put on your head the helmet of salvation. In other words, protect or, or cover your minds with the knowledge that you're already engaging in this battle as a victorious overcomer in Christ. Hey, listen, that doesn't mean you're not going to lose a couple battles here and there, not because there's deficiency in God, but because there's deficiency in us. I've lost some battles. Have you lost some battles? I've lost some battles because I've gotten in the way, but I'll tell you what, I'm winning this war. I'm winning this war. I am confident this one thing Paul said, he that began a good work in me, he will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. I am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so I recognize that what, you, what, what is going on in my life right now is, is, is I am becoming and I am transforming and I am dying to myself, but there'll be a day where he who loves me most will look and say, well done good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord and the presence of sin will be gone. And Paul's saying, when you're in the battle, don't forget you're victorious. Remember I said before, it's a, there's a, the psychological battle, the fiery darts. That, that, well, here's what we need to do. When we see those fiery darts, we need to remember we are victorious already. God has given us everything we need to be victorious. Don't lose the battle in your mind before the battle even presents itself. The next and the last piece of armor is different than the others in that, again, as I said before, the others are primarily are, are defensive um, uh, weapons, but this last piece distinguishes itself as being primarily an offensive weapon. And Paul will allude to that in verse 17. He says, and then finally take up the, the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now remember, this, this armor is something that we are to, to put on. The armor is, 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 is the appropriation of truth. 
the truth of God's word in our lives, right? And so it is, it is the idea of putting on truth, walking in truth, knowing and applying truth in our lives. And when we're knowing and applying or putting on truth, we're putting on the armor of God. And so while each article of armor has a different function, as we looked at last week and this week, um, it protects different areas, if you will, our mind, our emotions, right? Um, but its source is still the same. The source is what? It's the truth of God's word, right? That's what, that's what informs those things, right? It's the word that we wrap around us like a belt, the belt of truth, right? It's the word that protects our emotions, the, the breastplate of righteousness, right? It's the word that readies us for battle. It's the word that is our shield. It's the word that is our helmets. But those are responses to the lies that are coming at us from the enemy. The sword of the spirit is different in that it distinguishes itself as being the only primary offensive part of our armor. And what it does is it, it weaponizes the truth. And in this case, the word not only defends against the lies, just by default, but it advances the truth of God's word in our hearts and our minds. It becomes an advancement. It's moving forward. Now we're gonna do a little word study um, on, on this passage of scripture because I think that this is something that, that um, is really cool how Paul, um, obviously the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to do this, but I wanna do a little study on the term word that Paul uses here, the sword of the spirit being the word of God. I wanna contrast that to another area where the word is also um, interpreted as word. Um, Hebrews chapter four and verse 12, this will make a little more sense as we move forward. Hebrews chapter four and verse 12 says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, the Bible you hold in your hands or are reading on your, your whatever or above us here, uh, it wasn't written in English, right? It was written in Greek. And, and so the, the wording was different. And so when we look at this passage of scripture here, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Greek word that the writer of Hebrews uses here is the word logos, L-O-G-O-S, L-O-G-O-S. It's the same Greek word that John will use in the opening of his gospel where he'll say, in the beginning was the logos, was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Luke in writing Acts will say in verse 24 of chapter 12, but the word of God, the logos of God increased and multiplied. Jesus, in praying for his disciples, prays to the Father that God would, that the Father would sanctify them and in truth, for he says, your logos, your word is truth. Logos refers to the written word of God. And so when we see the word logos, it speaks to the written word of God. But now as we come to our text today and we look at this terminology that Paul uses, taking up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He doesn't use the word logos, the written word of God. Instead, he introduces a different word in the Greek and it's this word rhema, the rhema of God. Rhema doesn't contradict the written word. There's no contradictions in the scripture, but rhema speaks. 
of the spoken word of God. Let me give you an example, a couple passages here where the word rhema is used. Here is Mary. She's called upon to take on the high calling of carrying the Christ. And her response in Luke chapter 1 and verse 38 is, and says, Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your rhema, your word. And says the angel departed from her. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, speaking of Jesus, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the rhema, by the word of his power. Here is Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. He has just been baptized. He's heading into the wilderness, getting ready to begin his earthly ministry. And he is being tempted by the Satan who is trying to get him to go against the word of God. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, every rhema that comes from the mouth of God. Now it's important to note the content of the written word and the spoken word are the same. It's got its all same source. So we're not talking about extra biblical text. It's the same content. And so what distinguishes, and this is the key, what distinguishes Logos from Rhema is timing. It's timing. Rhema presents the already revealed word of God to a specific situation. It is a right now word from God that applies to a moment in time to bring about a specific result. That's what Jesus did in Matthew chapter four when he confronted the devil, right? He took the already revealed word in the Old Testament and he applied it right now. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the rhema of God. Let me give you a, a working example of this, but maybe, maybe, um, maybe there, there are times where... Um, you're here, and, 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 or, or you're reading, and you read a passage of Scripture, and you're like, oh, that, was really, that was good. That was really encouraging. That was really great. It was very informative. And then you kind of move on to other areas of Scripture reading, right? And it's, it's valuable. It's inspired. It's, it's, it's the logos, right? It's the written word of God. But then there's times in your life where you're, you're really going through it. Everybody has a season in life where you're just kind of going through it. Right? It feels like all hell's breaking loose in your life. I mean, the sky of your life is full of fiery darts. They're coming from everybody in every situation, in every topical moment of your life, right? It is, it is just a crazy season. And you're looking and you're saying, God, do you even know where I'm at? God, do you care? Do you know how I'm feeling right now? God, where are you? But then you choose, you say, but you know what, I'm not going to stay in this funk. I'm not going to stay under the circumstances. I'm going to apply what we've been talking about and this, the, the armor of God, right? So you say, you know what, I'm going to get into the word of God and I'm going to pick up the word of God, right? I'm going I'm to take up the sword of the spirit, right? And as you open it up, the spirit of God, unbeknownst to you, leads you to a passage of scripture that perhaps you've read this passage before. Perhaps you've encouraged others. You've maybe even you sang about this passage of scripture. It's a very familiar passage of scripture perhaps to you. But this time, this time it's different. 
This time it's alive to you in ways you've never read before as you, as you cried out to God and saw all those fiery darts and you're feeling alone and you're feeling vulnerable and you're wondering, God, you even know where I'm at. And you open up the Bible and there it is in Job chapter 23 and verse 10 where God says to Job, or Job says, he knows the place that I, the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And it's like, wow, what an incredible coincidence. No, you're looking and saying, wow, God's word is living. It's active. It's sharper than two edged, any two-edged sword. It's the written word of God applied to a specific situation. And it brought forth life and encouragement. And it brought me from where I am to this next place where God is looking to bring me. That living logos, the word that Hebrews speaks about, it's where it becomes the rhema, word of God, in your life. Same content, equally inspired, but it's when the content, the word of God, intersects with a time in your life where you need it the most, and it moves from logos to rhema, and it's like going from black and white TV to color. And some of our young people going, black and white TV? What is that, right? The sword of the spirit brings victory. Not only in a defensive way so that you might stand, but in an offensive way so that you might gain ground in your walk with God. It's a right now word from God. As I said, it's not any more inspired than any other part of the sacred text of scripture but the Holy Spirit presents it to you in a way that it meets a specific need at a specific time and it brings forth fruit. It is, in the truth sense, it is a prophetic moment in time. Now, just the word prophetic causes some people to go crazy. Perhaps because it's a, a word that's been so grossly misused and abused today. Here's my definition of prophetic. When the already revealed word of God intersects at a timely moment, resulting in the edification of the believer. It's not new information. It's not secret information. It's the already revealed word of God intersecting at a moment of time that brings forth the wow of God. It's a holy moment. It is a prophetic moment. The content of the word intersects with the timing and it's a holy moment. You say, well, is that the only way God speaks? No, there's, there's times that God will lay things on people's hearts that'll come across as a word of knowledge, right? That's different than prophetic. Prophetic has to do with the speaking of God's word. Word of knowledge is a different area of the, of the gifts of the spirit. And so we be careful not to confuse the two, right? It's the right now word of God, the already revealed word of God that, where you been all my life, Right? All of the armor is there to protect us and to guard us from something and guard something and, and to guard something specific. But uh, what do we guard it with? We, we guard it with the word of God. So critically important. We live in a day where everybody's so busy and not in the word. Don't let the busyness of life keep you from being in the word of God. The sword of the spirit 
is the prophetic word from God that needs to be actively listened for in our lives. I'm always looking for a rhema moment. I love being in the word of God, but here's the thing. A lot of times, it's, I'll go through a lot of logos moment before I land upon a rhema moment. You know what I mean by that, right? But I'm in hot pursuit of a rhema moment. I want a right now word from God. I want to hear what God is saying to me through his word. And another thing that distinguishes the, the, the sword of the spirit, with this I'll, I'll, begin, I'll begin to wrap it up. Um, the sword, of the, he says it's the sword of, of the spirit. In other words, it's the sword of the spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit. It's not our spirit, right? It's the sword of the, of the Holy Spirit. You see, this offensive weapon is being fueled by the Holy Spirit of God. He says, take up the armor of God. And as we do that, as we take up the armor of God, we are in a sense working together with the Holy Spirit within us that is transforming us into the image of Christ and giving us what we need in that moment of sanctification in our lives. The effectiveness of the sword of the Spirit is its connection to the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's timing in our life. That's why I've been emphasizing over and over and over again that each article that makes up the armor of God is never intended to be viewed separate one from another. Paul is simply giving us an illustration of how do we appropriate all of the truth of God's word to our minds, to our hearts, to our actions, to those darts, and all those different things. When we're in the word, when we're applying the word, when we're obeying the word, when we're filling our hearts and minds with God's word, the Holy Spirit takes that which we have deposited in our hearts and our minds and he helps us to war against the enemy by identifying lies as lies. And you see, the more you're in the word of God, when that lie comes across, it's gonna be like, whoa, that's not true. That is not true. That's not who I am. That's not what, I might have done that, but that's not who I am anymore. The, the more you are saturated into the word of God, the louder the lie becomes and, and the clearer the lie becomes defined. But when you're not in the word, it's kind of like, ah, is that true? Let me call a pastor. Let me call my friend. Hey, let me Google this. Hey, Siri, is it true that, right? I mean, it's like, you know, hey, Alexa, what do we do here? You know, when, we, when Alexa and Siri, Siri become our resource as to what truth is, we're in trouble. Right? But to the degree that we're in the Word of God, the more we're in the Word, the more we'll spot those moments, those lies, so that those lies don't land and become realities that keep us from God's best in our lives. He says, therefore, he says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. He says, having done all to stand. He says, stand there for Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. Holy Spirit, thank you for the truth of God's word that you reveal to us as we saturate our hearts and minds into it. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to um, apply this knowledge that we spoke about. I pray, God, that you would help us to be hungry 
for your word so that, Lord, we would, um, in, in, in this world that we live in that has so much information coming at so, from so many different angles like fiery darts, Lord, how do we decipher that which is true? Lord, truth is in your word. Help us, Lord. We thank you, Father, for it. Thank you for each one here today. God, I pray that as your people that we would, that we'd grow together, that we'd learn together, that we'd surrender our lives to you together, and that God, as a, as a church family, that we'd make you proud, a people who rightly handle the word of God. In Christ's name we pray, amen.